Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know how we are supposed to believe, knowing that God's Word gives us everything that we need. We want to rightly divide the Word of God. We want to make sure that we are like the Bereans who receive the Word of God with all joy, uh, and not like the Thessalonians, uh, but the Bereans received it with all joy, and then they sought the Scriptures to see whether or not those things are true. I want to welcome you guys who are joining us now, and we've got a first question in the queue here. And the first question has to do with when and how do we receive the Holy Spirit? So let me say first of all, let me, let me cover the, the question of when first of all. When do we receive the Holy Spirit? We receive the Holy Spirit first of all when we accept Christ. And that's 100% of Christians. There's nobody who doesn't. When you invite Christ into your life, your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, let me go ahead and put a scripture up here for you. The Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 2, it says, uh, actually, let's see, in verse, uh, yeah, verses 2 and 3, um, verse 3, uh, yeah, verse 3, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has to be working with you. And then when you are born again, He is in you. And then at a certain point in your life, you receive Him. Or at a certain point, you may pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you or come upon you. And it may be when you're out doing the work that God's called you to do, that the Holy Spirit may just come upon you. It may be like in the, the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit just came down on the room. And then through the laying on of the hands of the apostles, the Holy Spirit was given. And Jesus said, if you know how to be an evil, if you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so we are to, sorry, I'm just trying to get something done here a little bit. Um, and so we are to ask that we might be able to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there are people who will say that church doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. And what they mean when they say that they don't believe in the Holy Spirit is that they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. That's quite literally what they mean. I got another verse here for, for you that I want to show you. Um, but the truth is every genuine church has the Holy Spirit. Whether or not they believe the gifts of the Spirit are operating there is another question. The irony is that you could have someone there that has the gift of teaching or the gift of evangelism or the gift of organization and they're working at that church, but that church is a cessationist church. That means they don't believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Now, I believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. I don't believe that they were done. I don't believe that when the Bible says, um, when that which is perfect has come, that which is imperfect is going to be taken away, that it's talking about the Word of God. I think it's talking about Jesus coming. Uh, God's Word indeed is, is everything that we need. But specifically in the context, I don't think it's talking about God's Word. And so I believe the gifts are still around today. I don't believe that they were ever retracted. And so you receive the Holy Spirit when you invite 
you ask the Holy Spirit to be given to you, or you ask God to empower you, or you begin to go out and do the work that God's called you to do, or you pray a prayer to do what God's told you. I've got a passage up here out of the book of Acts. And this is um, when the disciples had been warned that they were to no longer teach in the name of Jesus. And so they come back to their companions and it says, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported, this would be the 120 in the upper room, all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard these things, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So they got things into perspective. You're God, you made the sea and the earth and everything that is in them. And then they say in verse um, 29, now Lord, look on their threats. You made everything and then they quote a few more verses, they quote a few verses of the Bible. Then they say, now Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants with all boldness that we may speak the word then by stretching out your hand and healing with signs and wonders that they may be done in the name of your holy servant Jesus. So their theology was right. It wasn't them healing, it was Jesus. And then it says, and when they, the, when they had prayed, the place where they were in, were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So the sign was they had asked for boldness, they got boldness, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, even though these are the same people that were filled with, this is Acts 4, these are the same people that were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, when Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem until uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And as you go through the, the book of Acts, you see the word upon being used. Doesn't matter to me the word you used. You wanna say filled with the Spirit, received the Holy Spirit, uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came upon me, whatever you wanna use. I believe that there is a second experience of the Holy Spirit that happens when the Holy Spirit is inside you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you to empower you to do the work that God has called you to do. So you receive the Holy Spirit when you are born again, then the Holy Spirit comes upon you and empowers you and brings gifts with him that you would do the work that God has called you to do. All these gifts were supposed to be done in order. They weren't to be, they weren't to be out of order. In Corinthians 12, 13, the love chapter, and 14, give us very specific ways that the gifts were to be used in church and that is abused quite a bit. Nevertheless, we still see the Holy Spirit coming upon us and God giving us the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not a Christian and you would like to ask Christ to come into your life, turn and begin to live for him, then you could be born again and the Holy Spirit will be inside of you and your body will be a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian already and you don't believe that you have the power of the Holy Spirit, he's never come upon you, he's never given you a gift, then ask him, Lord, come into my life. Uh, you could go to one of your pastors at your church and ask for them to pray that you would receive the Holy Spirit. If they don't believe that, they might not pray it, uh, but you can find people who will pray for it. And if you are more confident or it's a point of faith for someone to lay their hand on you and pray in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would receive the Holy Spirit and then believe that God is going to gift you, uh, then that would be I would, I would suggest that you would do that as well. I believe that that is how 
uh, when and how we receive the Holy Spirit. Everyone, when they are born again, receives the Holy Spirit. You can, after you've been born again, you can ask that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will empower you to be able to do the works that God has called you to do. So thank you for that question. It was asked uh, quite a while ago. Uh, so we, um, I wanna take a look here at other questions. If you are joining us for the very first time, we are really glad that you're here. If you have a question, write the word question or a Q or a question mark in front of it so I can see it as I'm looking at the comment section and then we'll make our way down through here, all right? Um, if, um, if you're wondering, should I ask this question? Does it feel like a very important question? If you have the question, someone else has the question as well. And you know, people say there are no dumb questions. And I don't know, maybe, maybe there are or, or there aren't. But I just want to be, don't be afraid to ask the question uh, that you may have because other people might have that question as well. And uh, we'll be able to cover them and, uh, and see what they say. All right, so... Um, we have a question from Diane, and Diane has a question about our Easter service. Diane says, why doesn't Calvary have Easter service at the TCC anymore? And it's driving me crazy trying to remember who the guest musician was at the last one. Um, you could be driving me crazy as well. So the last few years, we had Newsboys, we had um, the it's gonna drive me crazy too. I can't remember who I'm talking, who, who I'm thinking of. Um, you know, burn, burn, burn the ships. Um, yeah. In, in, anyway, I'm not sure um, who they were. So we used to do at the TCC a big, big event, um, and we would bring in a mu some musician that would play there. Our worship team would be the Reach worship team. I would give a resurrection message very clearly. Um, and then call people forward to give their lives to Christ and people would come forward uh, to give their lives uh, to Christ. And um, at some point, I don't know, five or six years ago, uh, we had decided that we weren't gonna do it anymore. This was a decision. Uh, actually, we decided we weren't gonna do it that year. This was a decision and we had done this periodically throughout the 25 years or so that we did a resurrection celebration, which was the big event down at the TCC. Uh, we would come back to the church because a lot of people that don't go to church will go to church on Easter and we wanted them to make a connection with the church. So they would go, they would get there, they would check their kids into the Sunday school, they would meet some people, they would be familiar with it. If they're coming with someone, then they would go through all of the steps and then they would be able to come back to the same place. And so uh, at a certain point, we decided that we were gonna do that instead. Part of it was the construction downtown caused the traffic getting in and out of the TCC was like a nightmare. Uh, part of it uh, was, I'm trying to remember all the reasons that we, we, we made the decision. Um, it's just a ton of work for the Sunday school, for everybody involved to be able to take things down, set them up for the nursery and all of those things. And um, we decided not to do it every year. That doesn't mean we will never do it again. And um, King of Country was the band that I was trying to think of. So they were one of the last ones as well. And um, so I'm, I'm not sure exactly who was the very, very last one. Uh, we could go back and look it up. So uh, actually you just have to go 
uh, if it's available on calvarytucson.com we're having some trouble with our website uh, and our library right now is is iffy so but we can go back look at the resurrection celebrations and see who was there Um, we have them all taped they're all there you can go watch them so thank you diana for your question i appreciate it our desire is uh of course to see people saved and easter is a big day for uh the resurrection celebration is a big day for that and uh, we look forward for those opportunities to be able to share christ and we may go back and do them at the tcc again um, but not this year this year we're going to have them at the church we'll add one more service Uh, so lisa has a question Uh, she says um question can a spirit move into your house if they were never there before um thanks lisa for your question uh and i'm not sure exactly what you're asking i'm going to take it that you mean a demonic spirit and not a an angelic spirit remember god's spirit right we have spirits uh angels have our spirits so there are different kinds of spirit bodies and there's fallen angels which i believe are the demons by the way and um so i i I think demonic spirits probably are around us a lot they're a heavenly host that we battle against but i think that you have to understand lisa the authority that you have in christ if you are a christian and you have invited christ into your life then you have the holy spirit inside of you and we have been given victory we've been given the keys to the kingdom jesus said and those keys are authority authority to preach the gospel authority that people would get saved and what's bound in heaven will be bound on earth and what's loosed in heaven would be loosed on earth and as we do the work of the gospel people are getting saved and the gates of hell will not prevail against us the bible tells us if anyone is in christ the evil one cannot touch us jesus said behold i give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you this is attributed to a lot of different people but i'm going to tell you how i heard it that martin luther woke up in the middle of the night and there's a rocking chair by his bed and that the rocking chair was rocking and he lit his candle or lamp and he put it over and it was the devil himself in the chair and that he blew out his candle or lamp and rolled over and went back to bed whether that is a christian myth or whether it really happened to someone i don't know but it illustrates something that when you are right with god the devil himself cannot hurt you he cannot touch you the only way he's going to be able to is if you cooperate with him or if god lets him but god has given us promises we are not like job we have different promises than job had job was a contemporary of abraham before the law you and i have the promises given to the church that the evil one can't touch us and i say the only way that we can be hurt by him is if we cooperate with him he tries to snare us he's bringing temptation our way he's trying to tear us down we got to know that so we put on our armor we stand fast and we pray uh, and that demons tremble at the name of jesus and so we have authority and power so even if in my house right now there's a demonic spirit here well i also believe there are angelic spirits here 
because the Bible says at the end of Hebrews chapter 1, I think it's verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent to minister to those who have been given salvation? I have been given salvation. I have angels ministering to me. There are more with us than are with them. Uh, if the third of the stars falling from heaven by the tail of the dragon represents the angels falling from heaven, that means a third of the angels fell with, with Satan. And then there's two thirds that are here today. So there's no reason to be afraid. You don't got to worry about a bump in the night, Lisa. And if you've never invited Christ into your life, the Bible says in John 1:12, as many as receive him, he gives the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. And so you receive him, you invite him in, you give him an invitation. The thief on the cross said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. All he knew was that Jesus was a king and that he had a kingdom. And then he invited him in, or he asked for salvation, and he gave him salvation. So you could say to him, save me. He'll become your savior. Lord, I want to live for you. Forgive me. And your life will be transformed and changed. He will change you. When you turn to Christ and invite him in, you are turning away from the world that you might be able to live for him. And now you have all of the protection that you can ever possibly imagine from any spirit. So Lisa, if this is a different question, if I assumed it wrong, go ahead and ask a follow-up question. Hopefully, uh, we will be able to get it. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us. It's really good to have you here. Go ahead and say hi. I'd love to see who is logged on and who is watching. Also, if you have a question, write the word question down and then write out your question or write um, a, a cue or a question mark in front of it and we will take your questions as they come in. We have a question from Jari. Uh, Jari, good to see you. Uh, is there such a thing as premature death by foolish choices? Or is everything a part of God's sovereign will? Also, my mom prays in the spirit, in tongues, uh, personally, is this biblical? All right, thank you, Jari, for your questions. Got a couple of them in there. Um, first of all, let's talk about if it's possible to die prematurely. So the Bible says it's appointed once for man to die, and then comes judgment. And if we're reading that right, that means that I have an appointment. There's an appointment. And I'm going to die someday unless I'm one of those mis uh, people who are the mystery of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. By sleeping means die. But some will be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye. And I really wish, I hope that's me. I hope it's you. Uh, but otherwise, we're going to die. We're going to die of something. Something bad's going to happen to us and we're gonna die. That's our appointment. Now the question is, can you move up that appointment? And the answer is yes. Remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan, that he took him up on the pinnacle of the temple, told him to throw himself off because the Bible said, the scripture said, that he will guard you in all your ways, lest you dash, he will guard you lest you dash your foot against a stone. He left out in all of your ways and Jesus said yes, but it is also written, thou shalt not tempt or test the Lord your God. How are you tempting or testing God? By saying, God can protect me. I'm going to do this foolish thing. Like you said, can you make foolish choices? I'm going to, uh, I've got an appointed time. And so I'm going to jump out of a plane without an airplane. I'm going to be one of the people who, who survives it. 
And people have survived, by the way, jumping out of an airplane when a chute hasn't opened, but it's not good, okay? Um, and let's just say you step in front of a semi-truck thinking, I'm protected by God and I have an appointment and the semi-truck runs you over. And the next thing you know, open up your eyes and you see Jesus. And Jesus said, you moved your appointment up. It's you making a choice to change the appointment because I believe that God gives us choice. Now, let's bring God's sovereign will into it because you bring that up here in the question as well, Jari. Um, God's sovereignty means that he does what he wants. God does what he chooses. And there's nothing that men can do that are gonna make God do or not do anything because God's God. He only limits himself by what he says. And so when God makes a promise to us, he's limiting himself. That's pretty amazing that he would choose to give us promises and limit himself. And God has given man choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve, God said. God's given man choice. And there are those, obviously, in Reformed theology are gonna argue whether or not you have a genuine choice, but I believe that you do because the Bible says it. Whoever would believe on him would be saved. And so if you choose to believe, then you're saved. And this means that I have a sphere that I can make decisions in that God's given me the right to do. He's sovereign, my, my God is so sovereign, he sovereignly gave us choices. But sooner or later, I'm gonna run into the sovereignty of God. And there's gonna be something that I wanna do that God's gonna say no. And there are no promises that allow me to be able to do it. And when that happens, God's sovereign will will, will, will win out in the end. Now, I could, it, it's possible that I could because God, know, God knows what's gonna happen before it happens. And throw, so through God's foreknowledge, he predestines people. So when we talk about God's sovereignty and predestination, predestination is connected to God's foreknowledge. And there are people who argue against it, but, but I think it's a very poor argument to say that God determines things without using his foreknowledge. God knows everything that's going to happen. Why would he set his foreknowledge aside and not determine things based on his foreknowledge? Now, this is a theological argument. There's a lot of good pastors who believe that, but I just can't make that leap. I believe that God in his sovereignty will do certain things and that God is totally sovereign, but he has given man choice. And I don't believe the choice of man fights against the sovereignty of God at all. So if God knows when you're gonna die and you set an appointment for that day, and you move that day up, God would have known that you moved the day up, so you really would be keeping your appointment. So it gets kind of a little strange there, right, Jari? Um, now, you also said, my mom prays in tongues personally. Is that, is it biblical? Yes. Um, the question is, what are tongues? This, uh, the movement that we have today, where people are praying in tongues, can be traced back to the beginning of the 19th century. And when people began to speak in tongues, this is even before the Azusa Street Revival. It happened at the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s, but even before that, there were a few <coughs> faith healers um, that, that would begin to, to pray in tongues. And 
they claimed it was were lang that they were languages. They claimed one was Chinese until they met somebody from who spoke Chinese who said that's not Chinese. And so then they had to determine are these languages like they were in the Bible because Acts chapter 2 are human languages. Paul talked about speaking in the tongues of angels. So I assume that angels have a language. And so now people will say, well, speaking in tongues is the tongues of angels. Well, you don't really have anything biblical for that. In fact, what we have in the Bible was that they were real languages. And so people will say now, well, no, it's a heavenly language. Or would they mean that by the, by the, the languages of, of angels? Because you could, you could speak into tongues uh, into your phone, make a recording of it, and then see if anybody would be able to tell what that language is. There's research that could be done today that could prove whether or not you speaking in tongues is an actual language that is out there. Nevertheless, Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And it is my spirit speaking mysteries to God. So there are things that we know about praying in tongues. It is your spirit speaking mysteries to God. And I receive the gift of tongues when I receive the Holy Spirit. And when I am distraught, when I am praising God alone, I will speak in tongues. And I don't do it in a service because I don't have the gift of interpretation. And quite frankly, I think there's very few who do. Remember, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts as He wills. And it seems like there were certain times in history like the late 60s and early 70s and the 1900s when God was using the gifts of the Spirit, the, the sign gifts of the Spirit in a really strong way. It seems like that has dropped off and God is using this, the gift of teaching and the gift of evangelism in a stronger way now. That's not to say that people can't use the gifts of the Spirit. So if your mom prays in spirits and tongues personally, then there's no problem. If she's praying in church where everybody's praying at the same time, there's a problem. If there's no interpreter, there's a problem. If it's more than two or three, there's a problem. All of these are things that are spoken of, Jari, in the book of Acts about the way that the gift of tongues are used. I uh, don't feel comfortable saying that the gifts of the Spirit have passed away. We talked about that in the beginning of this. I think that they still are around today. And so, and, and I, I have always wanted whatever it is that God wants for me and whatever gifts of the Spirit that God wants to give me and I am surrendered to Him. All right, so thank you very much, Gary. Uh, Jari, Gary, 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 I appreciate that. Um, we have a question from Brandon. Brandon says, "Can you explain Son of Man and Son? What um, can you explain Son of Man and Son of God? What they mean? I always get confused of these terms, especially Son of Man. Thank you. All right, Brandon. Yes, I would love to. So there are those that say that the Son of God is his reference to his deity because he's God's Son, uh, and you have Psalms chapter two. Do you know his Son? Uh, you better you know kiss the Son, or he's going to become angry at you. Do you know what his name is? And Jesus claimed to be the Son of God directly. When Caiaphas said to him, are you the Son of God? Jesus responded, it is as you say. And so then they say that the Son of Man is, is, is humanity. And Son of Man simply means human. 
right? You're a son of a man and so you are human. And so Jesus took on flesh like you and I and he became a human. And this was his favorite name for himself, our favorite title for himself. Jesus would often say, from here on out, you will see the Son of Man. He would say, when the Son of Man comes, he'll, he'll do this. He would use this reference for himself a lot. But he's not referring to his humanity. He's referring to his deity. That's why there's confusion, Brandon. And you're not the only one. Many people are confused. In and I want to I want to show you this. It might take me just a little bit to find it, but I think it's well worth us taking the time to look it up and actually see it and read it. And that is in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has seen these visions of these beasts. And I said it's going to take a long time I find it right away. He's seen these visions of these beasts. And in the middle of these these visions uh, that that represent different countries and nations and the end of the world and, and, and we can explain what those are at another time. All of a sudden he sees a vision of the Ancient of Days. And we can say that the Ancient of Days is the Father. And so this is, I'm going to put it on the screen for you, uh, this is Daniel chapter 7, what would be called the vision of the Ancient of Days. And Daniel says, I watched till thrones were put in place. And the ancient, notice that it's uh, thrones in the plural were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. So they're thrones. And so he says, and, he wa uh, and the Ancient of Days was seated, which must have been dramatic. His garment was white as snow. His hair on his head was like pure wool. The throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels burning fire. So this is a mobile chariot our mobile throne, a fiery stream issued and came forth from him, a thousand thousands ministered to him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, the court was seated and the books were open. This is the judgment day. And I watched then because the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and the body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away from them, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and times. I was watching in the night vision, and behold, and here we go, one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. This is Daniel. This is the Old Testament talking about the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. And he's coming on the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then he was given, this is the Son of Man, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. So Son of Man is a reference to deity. That, and this is the Old Testament. This is what we would call the complexity of God, that you have the Ancient of Days, and then you have a human who joins him, who now is given dominion, kingdom, and a power, and who rules and reigns with him forever. And so Jesus, and, and the scribes and Pharisees, the high priest understood this. And so when Caiaphas asked Jesus, are you the son of 
God and he says, it is as you say. He then comes back and says to him, but from now on, you will see the Son of Man. Jesus says to Caiaphas, from now on, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory, giving dominion, power, and a kingdom forever. And Caiaphas tears his clothes and says, a blasphemy, what further need do we need of a trial? And they condemn him because he claimed to be God by claiming to be the Son of Man. It's such a strong connection to the Old Testament. It's confidence that you and I know that this was not made up in New Testament times, that we could go back and see they were in the Old Testament. So whenever you see Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man, he's referring to his deity and he's referring back to Daniel chapter 7. They should have gotten that better. They should have known it and they did. These guys knew the Bible better than we do because they would have to go to the temple to read it. They spent time memorizing large sections of scripture and they knew these Old Testament passages very well and maybe we should memorize it as much as they did as well. So thank you, Brandon, for your question. It's a great question and a question a lot of people have. There is a lot of confusion uh, that is out there. All right, so we have a question here from Kyrene and Kyrene says, how can I get myself into the routine of reading the Bible. And this is very, very good to do. Uh, I am so blessed that my job is to be in the Word of God, to be explaining the Word of God to people, to seeing God's Word move in people's lives, that I can spend hours each week really pouring into it. Uh, but how does the average Christian read God's Word regularly study God's Word regularly, memorize God's Word regularly. And what is a practical way that you can get into the routine of doing so? So, and I think it's Kyrene, or yeah, I think it's Kyrene. Um, I would, if I were having difficulty reading God's Word and studying it, I would use my phone. I assume everyone who's watching, right, has a phone. I assume that. And I would use the phone. There's a couple of things that you can do. Number one, you could set up a reminder. Set a reminder for whatever time you want to do it, 7.30 in the morning. Set a reminder for lunchtime if you take a regular lunchtime. Or set a reminder uh, at 9 o'clock at night. Or you want to start going, getting ready for bed um, at 9.30. Set a reminder at 9.30 that you would read the section of the Bible. There are many apps that can help you. And I don't know if there's an all-inclusive app that will help you set a reminder and will give you portions to read every day that you would read. Or if you would just choose. It's so easy to choose a book of the Bible to read and then begin to read it. And my advice, and one of the ways that I think you can continue to read the Bible for the rest of your life is that you read it in portions or, or, or sizes that allow you to be able to do it without it becoming laborious. In other words, people think, I'm gonna read the Bible every day. That's good, that's a good goal. Taking the Word of God in every day, how could that hurt you? It's great. And you say, well, I wanna, I'm gonna read two chapters a day or four chapters a day. That's not hard, that's easy to do. Doesn't take a long time. You might not 
always want to do it, but it's easy to do. Uh, but my suggestion is, and I would do, I used to do that, but I would end up read it quickly and not really get anything out of it. And then, but I'd feel good about myself because I did my daily Bible reading. So what I began to do was put a mark in my Bible where I would read it until I was spoken to. So I would literally read it with a pencil in my hand, ready to underline right in the margin of my Bible. And when I was spoken to, I would put a little line next to the verse I stopped on and that's where I would pick it up on the next day. This was very helpful to me. Well, now you can use U version of the Bible. There's other Bible apps that you have. Uh, you can put marks, you can flag it. There's all kinds of tools. That's what I've got up on here now is the U version Bible, um, the New King James. You can go to the ESV, you can compare scriptures to it. Uh, there's so much that you can do. It really is a powerful tool. You can copy and paste into your notes on your phone. So when there's a verse that really speaks to you, you could copy and paste. You could go, I'm gonna read through here and I'm gonna, when I see something that really speaks to me, I'm gonna copy and paste it. You can make a note for every day and then you could copy and paste the passage that spoke to you. Then you could go back and begin reading from where you picked it up. So this is a very practical way to begin reading the Bible, to have a devotional time, to have a quiet time, to sit down before God, to be quiet, to read his word. Uh, you could also have the word read to you. I am an, I, I, I'm an audio learner. And one of the best ways for me to learn is not to read, but to hear it. And so you could put the Bible on when you're getting ready in the morning. You could do it while you're driving, which is probably one of the better ways to do it. Uh, you, could, you could do it, you could just put it on and sit back and listen to it and stop. You could start to play it. You can do that with your, uh, with the U version, by the way. You can play the Bible, then you can follow along with it while, it, while, while it's reading it to you. Then you can highlight, copy, and paste it over. That's a great way to receive the Word of God. And there might be some people who would be critical towards doing something like that, but I don't see any problem. As long as you're taking the Word of God into your life. And also, I would also, in that same note, I would write questions down. Because you're gonna get a lot of questions when you read through the Bible. Uh, I think it was, um, I can't remember who it was who said, it's not, I think it was Mark Twain. It's not what I don't understand about the Bible that bothers me, it's what I do understand about the Bible that bothers me. So there's, there are a lot of questions you get. If you write down your question, then you can spend some time studying that topic. You have a question, you come across slavery in the Bible. Did the Bible condone slavery? Now you have something to dive into. You can dive into it by websites you trust on, on the web. You could dive into it through a, someplace like YouTube. You gotta be careful that you're looking at good sources. There's a lot of good sources, but you can start diving into it and taking notes. Now you're studying something. And when you study something and you're able to give an answer like slavery in the Bible, well, Exodus 16, 21, 21, 16, Exodus 21, 16 says that if anybody steals a man, kidnaps a man and sells him, or if anybody is found with a kidnapped man, 
in other words, owns a slave, they shall be put to death. And so when someone tells you the Bible condones slavery, you go, not out and not antebellum slavery, not Atlantic trade slavery, because they were kidnapping people. And the Bible didn't, doesn't do it. They didn't have prisons in their day, and so people could become servants because of a crime. An indentured servant was the most popular way. You needed help financially. And so you would work a, have a contract to work for a certain amount so that you could pay off your debt. And if you couldn't pay your debt off every seven years, that person was supposed to be let go. So, and, and, and we could talk more about the year of Jubilee and that seven year releasing of servants, those kind of things which are very powerful. So anyway, you dive into it, right? You dive into, and by the way, that's one of the areas that I've, I've studied recently. That's how I know just off the top of my head what the Bible says about it because it's one of the areas that I've looked into because I'm interested in it, not because I'm going to teach it. I'm not anywhere in the Bible where that's going to be at, but I'm just interested in it. So I dove in, wanted to know, looked at cross references. And once you begin to do that, you are now, you're now caring about things you're, you're studying things you care about, you want to know, and you're learning them and you are bringing them into you now. So I hope that that is practical. M memorizing, finding, even if it's short verses. Uh, short verses in the Bible can be very powerful to memorize. They're easy to memorize, but they can say some extremely powerful things. Um, so when you're listening to a teaching and you see a, a short verse that says something powerful, note it memorize it, uh, take time to memorize longer verses. Uh, these are, it's going to be very powerful for you. Uh, it might be hard for you to get the motivation to do that, but as you begin to do it, behavior, behavior changes as you do it. They say it only takes 30 days of doing something before it becomes a habit or 30 days of not doing it until a habit is broken. So I hope that those practical ways are ways that you can be helped um, to uh, make sure that you are reading the Bible, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible. I believe that all of those things are important. We have another question from Debbie. Debbie says, Robert, can you explain binding and loosing? Yes, thank you for your question, Debbie. I appreciate that. There is, I believe, well, I'm going to just going to say it boldly. There is a misuse of binding and loosing. We have been told that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever we loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And quite literally, when Jesus says that to Peter, it, in the Greek, it says what has been bound in heaven has been bound on earth and what has been loosed on earth will be um, loosed in heaven. So it's talking about things that God has preordained. Jesus also used the term bound and loose for the woman who was bent over for 18 years and he healed her on the Sabbath and they got upset at him. And Jesus said, this woman has been bound by a spirit. So it's a spirit that bound her for 18 years and think of it or, or, or and think of it for 18 years. And now she is loosed and you're upset because it's on the Sabbath. So we talked about the binding and loosing. So I do think that there is some demonic way that there is some demonic attachment to binding and loosing. That we are given authority and, and the enemy is bound and we loose people who are, are bound by the demonic forces and we bind 
the enemy from being able to work in people's lives. Uh, how it's been misused is I bind you finances. I, um, or, or I bind you poverty. I bind you uh, devil, uh, Satan uh, from doing this. I bind, that's been, that's a misuse of the binding and loosing. Uh, the other place that it's used is when there is discipline taking place. So when we are told that we are to separate someone and treat them like a non-believer, which doesn't mean shun them like the Jehovah Witnesses do or the uh, Church of Scientology does when they remove someone from their midst. You don't, you don't have meals with them, you don't eat it, we eat with them. Because tax collectors and sinners were the people you're supposed to go to with the gospel. It means now you are talking to them as if they need to be saved when they have unconfessed, unrepented sin in their lives. So you, you, you put them out of the fellowship, but you are talking to them and trying to get them to really come back and believe. And it says there were two or three gathered together in my name. I will be there in the midst of them. And whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever they loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So he's talking about, he's talking about discipline. Uh, the, the authority the church has to be able to discipline people. So those are the two ways that it's used. And it's been misused greatly and people do misuse it in great ways. And um, it's, a good, uh, it's a good topic, Debbie, to do what, what I was talking about doing, where you dive into it. Now, you have a question about binding and loosing, you can dive into it. You can read all of the passages in the Bible that talk about binding and loosing. Uh, you can do that through a search uh, you could do, what does the Bible have to say about binding and loosing? Just type that in. Now you're going to go back and you're going to read all the passages that have to do with it. And it's something you're interested in because you've got a question on it or you've seen somebody misuse it. And when you go through that process, you will then own the very topics that you're diving into that you really and truly do care about. So thank you very much, Debbie, for your comment. I hope you have a great day. And we will see you um, a little bit later on. So I'm gonna take a moment here. We have another question from Lisa. So Lisa says, a question. My friend brought, bought a house five years ago and she never felt anything before, but now she feels and hears things in the night. Can a demon move into, the in, into her house when it wasn't there before. Okay, so you're just expounding on the question that you had before. So I'm not gonna go over all the stuff that I did earlier, but to simply say, is your friend a Christian? That's what I really need to know. And I'll, I'll quickly say, if she's not a Christian, then there could be some kind of de de demonic activity taking place. And if you are a Christian, you don't need to be afraid of it. Even if he is making bumps in the middle of the night, you don't need to be afraid of it. So if she's a genuine Christian, then she doesn't have to worry about it. And if she's not, then it would be good for her to commit her lives to Christ. Begin going to a Bible-believing church. Turn to him, begin to believe his word, believe that he rose from the dead, believe that he died on the cross for her sins. And then she's gonna have authority over that. So I would need to know if she's a Christian to know whether or not, and even if a demon was in the house of a believer, a believer does not need to worry about that. And I talked about that all just a little while ago. Um, so we have a question here from April. April says, and good to see you, April. 
April says, I'm trying to compare the covenants. My questions are, would the new covenant be considered unconditional or conditional? Would belief, faith be considered a stipulation of the covenant? The new covenant. So, when, when Jesus gave the cup in, and the institution of communion, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. So, the Lord's Supper is a covenant meal. And when we take it, we are, we are taking the cup of the new covenant. Jesus, when he, when he gave us the new covenant, which is the old covenant would be the old law. The old law has been set aside. It wasn't bad, but it was weak. It was incomplete. Jesus saves to the uttermost. The law could not save. It could just show you you were under sin. So when you make the new covenant, you have to invite him into your life and you have to receive him. So in order to be a part of this new covenant, there are conditions. The condition is that you receive him, that you become a Christian, that you genuinely receive him and genuinely become a Christian. And everyone who is a genuine believer and a genuine Christian has become part of what is the new covenant with Christ. So yes, I do believe that the new covenant is conditional. A lot of covenants in the Bible, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Noah, Noetic covenant, um, and the final covenant, which is the covenant of Christ, which is that he died on the cross for our sins. And if we believe in him, that he rose from the dead and we confess it, that we are saved. And, and we, now we start, now are transformed and begin to live for him. So I, I would say there is a stipulation for the new covenant that if you are not born again, then you are not under the new covenant. If you are born again today, then April, you are under the new covenant. There is not a distinction between Christians, a genuine Christian, one of them not having the new covenant and one of them in the new covenant. If you are a genuine Christian, then you have received and accepted the new covenant and that is who you are. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. We have a question here again um, from, it's either Karen or Kyrene and I'm not sure which one it is. Um, and this is the second question that she had. We normally only take one question, but since this is a topic we were covering before and we want some clarification, I'm gonna go ahead and, and look at it. And I will normally do that too, by the way, taking questions on something we have already covered because I might've left something out. So she said, I thought speaking in tongues was a bad thing. This is gonna depend on the church you go to. So if you go to a church that is a cessationist church, they believe the gifts of the spirit are not for today, they're gonna to say that speaking in tongues is evil. And oftentimes, and I think that John MacArthur is one of these. If I'm not, I'm sorry. I, I certainly don't want to misspeak for someone who believes that if someone speaks in tongues, it's demonic because they have gone away. And so it's got to be the demon, a demon who is doing that. I do not believe that. I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still for today. And I don't believe you're going to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit saying, give me the, a gift and that the Holy Spirit is going to allow a demon to give you a some gift of tongues that is bad. There is, there's all kinds of Christian myths. One of the Christian myths is that somebody was somewhere and they, they were speaking in tongues and somebody was there who knew the language and heard them cursing God in tongues. So you better be careful. And, and I think it's John MacArthur who I heard say, use this myth. You better be careful that when you are speaking in tongues, you're not cursing God. 
Well, number one, that's anecdotal. 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 That's an anecdote. That number one, that's a one-time event that that happened that you can't build theology over, and you don't even know if it's true, and you don't know whether the person was a genuine Christian or not. If it was true, that that might have been masquerading as a Christian. So you don't ever want to take anything you hear like that and believe it. You just go to the scriptures, and so the scriptures. In, in my opinion, never say that the time of these is done. Now, they're going to go to the end of 1 Corinthians. They're going to say, when that which is perfect comes, that which is imperfect is done away with. They're going to say tongues and prophecy and miracles and the gifts of the Spirit were imperfect and that the Bible is perfect. And that's what it was talking about. I think it's talking about Jesus being the perfect one coming back to us. That's what I believe. And so I do not believe that gifts of the Spirit are not for today. So your church may very well teach that tongues are bad. Uh, then there may be two Christians who get together, genuine Christians that have real faith in Christ, and one believes that they're bad and one believes that that's it's good. Uh, I do not believe that they are bad. I believe that they are the gifts today. I think they're used in bad ways, for sure. If everybody is speaking in tongues at once in a church, the Bible says don't do that. Uh, if, if, if at the most two or three and only when there's an interpreter and let all things be done decently and in order. And a lot of times those things are not done decently and in order and they do take on the appearance, I'm not saying that they are, but the appearance of a lot of pagan kind of worship where they, there's chaos taking place and that's called the move of the Spirit of God. I would have that same problem with uh, the the Toronto blessing, the laughter, uh, people just getting hysterical and laughter or people getting drunk in the spirit or people acting like animals with the spirit. I think that all of those things are bad and I think they're unbiblical and I think we can make a strong biblical case that they are. But as far as someone speaking in tongues in their home by themselves, this is not bad and it's not wrong. Even if there, even if there were a misunderstanding and I'm just babbling because I've I have the gift of tongues and I pray in tongues and I, I, I'm edified when I do. That's my own experience. Now, you don't want to build theology by experience. You don't want to go, well, Robert was ed is edified when he prays in tongues, so tongues must be right. But I know I am edified when I do it. And so, let's just say I'm wrong. Let's just say the gifts of the Spirit are for today and that which is perfect is the Bible and so tongues are, have been done away with. And I'm a little distraught over something going on in my life and I'm praying, and I am get quiet before God, or I, I lay down to go to bed, and I'm praying, and I start to speak in tongues. And I'm just kind of babbling. But it's not real tongues. Then my heart is a heart of faith. And the Bible says, if you do anything by faith, then it's, if it's not a faith, it's, a, it's sin. And I think that I can make a case that I'm calling out to God on what I believe the Bible says about a gift that I have been given. And even if I'm wrong, God sees that heart. All right, so I, I realize that could bring up a lot of questions, that could make a lot of people angry, um, but whatever, all right? People are gonna get angry no matter what. So thank you for that follow-up question about the gift of tongues. Um, we, uh, we, we really appreciate it. Uh, next question is from Tyler and Tyler says, 
Can you clarify the Reformed stance on salvation? I know that many Calvinists believe that God has chosen those that will become Christians from birth and everyone else is doomed to hell. Yes, thank you, Tyler, for your question here. Um, yeah, the Calvinistic view is that there is limited atonement and irresistible grace. This is what they say, not what I say. I'm not building a straw man that can be torn, torn down. They believe that irresistible grace. There are those who are chosen by God and cannot be lost. They just haven't got saved yet. There are non-believers, but they're going to get saved and they cannot be lost. And they believe that there are those that have been um, limited atonement, that God's atonement is limited. There are those that aren't chosen by God and they can never be saved. I don't believe either one of those is true. I believe that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. And it's one of the reasons that I cannot be a Calvinist. And they use Daniel chapter nine, where God says, I've chosen some as vessels of honor and some as vessels of dishonor. And who are you to speak against God for choosing some as honor and dishonor? But it never says there that God chose them. And I know they don't like this word, but, but I'm gonna use it randomly. It never says God chose them randomly. And, and God, it's chapter nine is before chapter 10 that says, if you believe in him, you will be saved. And if you believe and confess your mouth and believe in your heart that God has risen from the dead, you will be saved. And so choosing Christ is the vessels of honor and not choosing Christ is the vessels of dishonor. And he's talking about groups of people there, nations. When it says that God loves Jacob but hates Esau, go back to the Old Testament and also look at it in context in, in, in Romans 9 where he's talking about the nation of, of Esau and the nation of, of, of Jacob, whose name became Israel. So Israel and I think it's the, um, the Edomites. Esau and the Edomites, I think it's the Edomites. I might be wrong about what nation came from Esau, but that's what he's talking about. And he's talking about a curse in the Old Testament when he says, to on the people, when he says, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. In other words, Israel I have loved because they are following him, not always, and, and the Edomites weren't, and so he had hated them. And why they were in the womb, God, God foreknew what one would choose and what the other one had chosen. And so if you believe, God will cast his love upon you. If you don't, you're under the wrath of God. This, I, I, can't, I can't believe. So this is um, their soteriology. Soteriology is the, the, the theology of salvation. I believe that God provides salvation for everyone and those that receive him receive salvation and they are born again. All right. And again, I know people are going to get upset, but that's all right. Hey, we, we believe different things. And I believe you are genuinely saved if you believed in Jesus, even if you believe there are people who cannot be saved. All right. So I'm going to take time to look for one more question here. Uh, we have, uh, I'm going to look for one more. Uh, we, we have a one question rule. I, I know I've kind of violated that a little bit by doing a follow-up question today. So I see another question from Brandon, but I'm going to go on a little bit here. Uh, let's answer um, keeping it real. And this will be our last question for today. Glad you guys have joined us. Uh, keeping it real says, is it wrong to talk to my mom who, was, who has recently passed? Not like divination, just talking. I was used... I was used to talking to her every day. Um, thanks, keeping it real. I'm sorry that you've lost your mom. Um, it's hard and you're going through grief. Uh, 
and you have to go through it in order to really be healthy. When you try to avoid grief, you begin not being healthy. And so you've got to, you've got to deal with it. Um, yes, it would be wrong if you were going to a diviner or a psychic to try to talk to your mom. Yes, that would be wrong. No, it's not wrong for you to talk to her. Maybe she hears you. Maybe God lets her hear you. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe God's not letting her hear you. In my opinion, people that pass who know Christ are now moving on in, in the world of heaven and being with Christ and learning the fullness of what it means to truly be in Christ. When my late wife passed away in 2012, I really was going through a difficult time. And um, I felt like to some degree it was my fault that she had died. I felt like I could have done more or maybe should have done more. I felt like as her husband, I should have done more. Uh, I had people tell me that if I'd have been a better husband, she wouldn't have died. Uh, I didn't believe them, but I was really kind of struggling with that internally. And I had a dream that she was walking in heaven and I, and I was there looking at her and she saw it. She turned and she saw me and she just turned, smiled, turned around and walked towards Christ. And even around a corner, which I understand why in my dream I thought that because she used to tell people when she was sick and getting ready to die, I'll see you around the corner. I mean, I'm going to see you very soon. And, and from that, I, and her face was radiant, by the way, which I love the Psalm that says, and, and they saw him and their faces were radiant. And um, I took that, she's just, she's moved on to heaven. She's no longer here on this earth. We are citizens of heaven, but we're here on this earth. And so when you're grieving, you're gonna go through these processes. And I'm, I'm and again, keeping it real, I'm sorry that you're going through it. Um, we all go through times of grief. Life is, is, we go down roads we don't wanna go down. And so talking to your mom is not a problem. Don't replace your talking to God with that. Don't talk to God and that fellowship that you have with God. Don't turn that into fellowship with your mom all the time. But talking to your mom is not a problem. It could get unhealthy if we, we are supposed to pray without ceasing, which means that we walk with God and everywhere we are, we're able to talk to him. And it could become unhealthy if you replace God with your mother to where you're talking to your mom all the time and you're missing out on the fellowship with God. So that would be my only caveat to it, all right? But the answer to your question is no, it's not wrong for you to talk to your mom who has passed. Whether or not she hears you, I don't know. But it's not wrong for you to do it, all right? So thank you guys for your questions. Thank you for joining us. I consider these times to be such a blessing to be able to look at God's word and uh, through the through questions that are being asked. I pray that God truly does bless you. Uh, we have a service in two hours tonight and we're gonna be talking about controlling our thoughts or how to control our mind and what that means and what the Bible has to say about our thinking and what we end up doing because of our thinking. We're in Philippians chapter four. We're gonna cover two verses tonight, eight and nine. I really look forward uh, to sharing that. You can, if you're here in Tucson, you can go to our East and West Campus. It's raining out there now, I know, so bring an umbrella, all right, and come out and join us. Uh, and um, if you wanna watch us online, then you can watch us. 
calvarytucson.com, Facebook, YouTube, Roku, 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 whatever it is, um, Apple TV, all have Calvary Tucson on there, and you'd be able to watch the service live uh, tonight. Uh, both the worship, by the way, which we're really blessed to have at Calvary Tucson, such good worship, uh, and also uh, the uh, the teaching. All right, so God bless you guys. It's been great spending time with you. Stay close to Jesus. May you be closer to Jesus than ever before. May you know more of his word than ever before. May there be a hunger to know his word and to live it and to find the promises that God gives in his word by living them. So I'm gonna go ahead and sign out. God bless you guys. We will see you uh, this Saturday. Lord willing, we will have a, another Q&A. So I look forward to seeing you, uh, joining me again um, at the Q&A. And by the way, I see another question from Monica here. Um, if you've asked questions, I'll use them to look at for future questions. Uh, this whole log will be sent to me. And I appreciate you doing that, Keith. And 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 um, wanna thank Keith for being a moderator here with us today. Um, and I'll add these for future opening up questions, all right? And we'll look about um, answering uh, your questions later on, Monica, and any of you who have given questions as well. Um, we're getting a few more questions and I'm taking a little bit more time to answer them more thoroughly. So you might want to log on early if you really want to get your question in. We're only taking one question per person, except if it's a follow-up question. All right. So God bless you guys. We will see 